and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the VP Editorial Director of PR Week, and I'm here to guide you through another show. Another busy week in PR. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Washkirk. How you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Fully recovered from the marathon Well, now. that's going to take a few more weeks and hopefully not months. So, Are you going to get back running again or are you going yes, to give doing it? Yes, got a half marathon this weekend. Oh, wow. And, uh, really? Then it's going to be a bit of a break. Yeah. <laughs> those, those bit old, of a break. Sneeze need a break, mate. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. We'll be talking about a bunch of stories and a bunch of PR week stuff. We launched our Health Influencer 30 list today. Interesting list there. Some uh, new account moves, especially in the travel sector. LA Tourism Discover PR. Um, so Charlene Wheeler's not launching a new consultancy venture, which sounds interesting. The Trevor Project, they've come off X, which is um, a, a, a thing that a lot of people have been thinking about. We'll discuss that. Sad news about former Verizon comms lead Peter Thonis, who's passed away, unfortunately. And um, some more PR Week news about uh, our crisis comms and salary survey for next year. But we have a great guest this week. We are going to be talking to Peter Land. Uh, Peter is the former Chief Comms and Sustainability Officer at Dick's Sporting Goods and uh, has had a 40-year career in the comms industry. But you're retiring, Peter. So first of all, welcome to the podcast. But tell us uh, about a decision to step back a little. Well, Steve and Frank, thank you so much for having me on. It's love, uh, love uh, hearing you guys and, and speaking with you. So uh, first, thanks, thanks for that. Really happy to be here. You know, Steve, sometimes you just know know when it's time, right? It wasn't any one moment. Uh, I've been thinking about it for a while. Um, I guess it's kind of like a, a sports analogy. There's what you do on the court and off the court, right? And, and off the court, you know, I've been doing some nonprofit work and, and teaching um, and start. it just started to feel increasingly important to me to spend time doing those things. And it's hard to do that, you know, when you're working a 75 hour week. Um, but I love Dix and the company that, you know, uh, uh, in general, and I love all the people that work there and my team. So it was a hard decision, um, but I felt like uh, the time was right. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a few folks doing similar things to you. If you look out there in the market, they don't want to retire, you know, don't want to stop working. They love the industry. But to your point, the old 70, 75 hour weeks, especially when you're working on weekends in certain brands, it can get to be a bit of a grind, can't it? And uh, like you said, you've got a lot of other things going on in your life and you want to enjoy those. So, yeah, I'm talking about people like, I don't know, Gary Sheffer, maybe Dave Sampson's been on the podcast, um, John Iwata. Um, there's a lot of lot of really top-level people. And it's good that uh, you can stay in the industry. And uh, in fact, we'll be talking about Charlene Wheelers a bit later. It's a slightly different case. But uh, but it is nice to be able to keep your hand in. And I think you, we're, we're, you, you haven't completely disappeared from the industry. No, no, I'm not going to completely disappear. I mean, I don't know exactly the balance of how much time I'll be you know, teaching and, and doing nonprofit work versus actually staying in, in, involved in, in comms and media and and, and working. Um, but the balance, you know, is going to be much more balanced, I would say, moving, you know, moving forward in terms of, of investing more of my time and in, in things that I'm really passionate about. Um, and, and that's really what I hope to do. I'm on three three nonprofit boards, you know, Sandy Hook Promise um, is a, obviously a very important issue, both to Dick Sporting Goods and to me personally. Um, I'm on the UGA Sports for Youth Board, which I chair, uh, co-chair. 
um, and University of Maryland, uh, Shirley Povich School of Journalism. You know, so these are all things, you know, that are important to me personally, and, and I hope to be able to spend time, you know, with all of them. And, and But like you said, look, when you choose to go into the sports and or media you know, communications business, and especially when those things are, are conjoined, right? You've kind of, you know, made a decision in life, which I've been super happy with. I've had an you know, incredibly fortunate career, you know, that you're going to be, you know, you're on all the mm. time. You know, you're working, you know, that's when, that's when things happen, right? Nights, weekends, and I've loved every minute of it. Um, but, you know, again, after, like you said, after 40 years, it's time to kind of uh, get a little bit more balance. Yeah, because uh, you started as a sports writer, actually, on the Washington Post and an editor there. So that, that was um, back in the 80s. And then you had some time at the NBA as um, a director of marketing and communications, which would have been interesting. A, a long spell at Edelman. And then I didn't know you were the CMO of the Breeders' Cup, which must, which sounds like a f- fascinating gig as well. And then time at Pepsi, at Finsbury. So a great variety of roles. Tell us, give us some of your reflections on how the industry's changed. You know, we were talking about uh, social media and stuff like that. There was none of that back in the early 80s when you started, which made it a lot simpler in many ways, but also maybe harder to get messages out there. What are your big reflections on the changes in the industry in, in your four decades? I mean, it's a great question. There's so many. I mean, I, I look, I was really blessed um, beyond belief to work with some of the best in the business right at the beginning, right? So when I was at The Post, we had just hired Christine Brennan and Sally Jenkins. I, I sat, my, my desk was literally next to Mike Wilbon. You know, across the aisle was Tony Kornheiser, Tom Basel. These are like legends in our business. But like you said, this was 1983, four and five. That, that was how that, you know, that was journalism. I think sports journalism, you know, in my, in my mind, really at its peak in terms of investigative reporting and long form journalism. And I sound like an old person for sure. <laughs> I, I really miss, you know, really quality, high quality investigative, you know, feature writing, long form journalism, because that's kind of what I grew up with. I grew up with it as a kid and I grew up with it in the business and I completely understand and, and the rationale and where the business has gone and where the industry has gone in terms of more short form content and, and video and, of course, you know, social media and so forth. But honestly, I, I kind of do miss, you know, when I, when I, when I see, I mean, Sally actually wrote an amazing piece about Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova. I don't know if you might have seen it yeah. a couple yeah. of months ago. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I haven't read, I haven't sat down and read a, you know, thousands of word story, you know, uh, in sports in a very, very long time. I texted her right away. I'm like, oh my God, that, this, that was an incredible piece. So I, I, it has, the evolution has been amazing. And I really have been fortunate to have seen it in all, in, in almost every job I had. When I was at the NBA, you know, we started NBA.com and WNBA.com. You know, I don't know exactly what year. I want to say it was 96, seven or eight or something like that. And at the time we, we, we didn't realize then what it was going to become. We had an intern and stuck him in a corner and said, Hey, we, we, we're going to start a website called NBA.com. Can you input all the player bios there? Cause that's what people are going to want. You know, they're going to want to see the bios and the stats and that's really all it needs to be. So, you know, why don't you kind of go And this guy, I remember he like sat in the corner, you know, in a cube, like inputting player bios. Cause that's at the time, that's what NBA.com was going to be. Right. Yeah. I remember being at newspapers at that time and 
we had one yeah. computer attached to the internet and you had to kind of book time on it. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was very early stages, wasn't it? And all the reporters were like, Oh, how the hell do we use this thing? You know, and they were very much, but I learned to be a journalist there by listening to them on the phone, right. And working them, their beat and getting out there into the, into the city with them. This was a sort of regional newspaper. So, um, it, in some ways that element has gone as well, hasn't it? A little bit. Well, I think what's gone too is, is just a different relationships that, you know, this is a relationship business, right? Communications in general is a relationship business. So the relationships are, are different because the power base is different, right? So when we were first kind of when I was at Edelman and, 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 you know, other agencies before and after, you know, the relationships with the journalist were the most important, you know, thing you could have because you, you have to kind of, you, you know, um, get to know people, you know, on a human level to kind of work with them and, and you provide, you know, stories and access and so forth. And even if you look at the NBA now as an example, um, the, the media that covers the team, it's not just the beat writers um, or the teams, it's, it's, you know, NBA has its own media platform and then the teams have their own media platform and the players have their own media platform. The fans, so if you're an the fans app, do as well. Right. So, so the whole ecosystem is so different in terms of where are the obligations, you know, uh, uh, the, the players, the athletes are still incredible. They do a ton of work from a media standpoint, but it's a very different, you know, uh, format, right? Instead of just sitting down and talking with the journalist, they're talking to their, to multiple platforms, you know? So I think as, as, you know, all the people that are, that are currently in comms, you know, uh, have to be, you know, savvy and facile about so many different platforms. Um, and that's, you know, from a communication standpoint, uh, I think all companies are hiring, you know, in, in the right way, people with non-traditional backgrounds, right? We, at Dick Sporting Goods, we hired a couple people who were television producers, mm. you know, to come into the comms function because we know we needed to produce, you know, short form video and we needed to have people thinking like a television producer thinks, that would have been unheard of, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, for um, sure. But now it's kind of critical to have that. It definitely is. And if you're in, a, in the media space, you'll be sat next to not just other reporters. Like you said, you'll be sat next to the team journalists. The the yeah. uh, influencers are now allowed in certain ones into the press area. So it's a different uh, environment. I think it's good, actually, um, because uh, sometimes the – Established reporters could get a bit complacent, to be honest. Um, but anyway, that's another podcast. If you're thinking yeah. about Dick Sporting Goods, and you mentioned your work with Sandy Hook Promise, if if you're thinking about some of the proudest things you've been involved with, would one of the things be Dick's making that call on um, guns and sort of really a very bold move for them, right? I'm sure a lot of their um, customers might not have uh, wanted them to do that. Yeah, I, I, Steve, that that's for sure. If I was kind of, you know, creating kind of a top five or a top 10 list, you know, that's going to be right up there at, at the top. In part, because when you work in this business, you have a job to do, of course, you know, but when it also feels personal, I think it takes on a lot more, a lot more meaning, you know? So, so, um, you know, I had a relationship with, with Lauren Hobart, who's the current CEO, um, but then I, when I started working for the company, I met Ed Stack, you know, prior to um, when he made the decision about, about uh, removing assault rifles after Parkland. And we talked about his decision. Um, and, and I was practically sobbing over the phone. I mean, he was so moved 
uh, by what happened, you know, uh, in Parkland and what he felt was necessary in our country. Uh, it, it made kind of working with with him and the team there so incredibly gratifying because it, it was a huge moment for the company, but it was also really important, you know, to me personally. So when you can kind of, you know, uh, do that in, in a career, when you can do something that's that's meaningful for the country, frankly, you know, and 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 the company, but also, you know, personally meaningful, it, you feel like you kind of hit the jackpot. Yeah. I mean, because people talk about making it statements, is. but it's the actions speak louder than words and actually doing something is really making a difference, isn't it? But that seems to me to be one of the biggest issues that CCOs are facing these days because they're getting pressure to make statements by uh, often in-house. But when you make an action like that, the shareholders are going to be like, well, hang on, we make a lot of money out of these goods. So it's a bit like when CVS took tobacco products out of its stores. That was a big decision for them, but they did the right thing, what they thought was the right thing, because it superseded profits. How difficult is it as a comms person to get those issues past the other stakeholders? Because we've, we saw the shareholder primacy has, has dominated business um, for a number of decades, but then the business roundtable statement on purpose, having equal primacy, I wouldn't say that was a game changer, but it every company's wrestling with it, aren't you? And where are the lines? Where the, where do you stop? Where do you say, actually, that's not for us to um, make a statement on? Obviously, you're selling guns and guns are being used. So that's, that's very relevant. So just talk us through that decision-making process, because I think a lot of people in the comms function now are wrestling with that. Yeah. I mean, Steve, it's never been a more challenging time to wrestle with exactly what you're talking about, because the expectations have changed. Right. In terms of companies, you know, um, either taking a position or not. Right. You know, so so for us at the at the time at exporting goods, you know, um, be, we thought we we could say something and do some, to your point about action and do something because we it was authentic to who we were as a company because we were in that business. So in some respects, it was easier for us to do that because we had a very authentic real connection to the issue and our chairman ed felt very personally you know impacted by it so those two things combined that we 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 had something to say that we felt was legitimate and we you, you know were qualified to talk about the topic because it's something that we had experience doing and i think what's challenging for people that sit in 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 the chair that i used to sit in and companies and agencies and so forth is that's not always going to be the case, you know, so, so uh, there are issues that come up every day that the companies might not have a specific connection to, but there are stakeholders that expect them to take a position anyway, right? So, I mean, the way, you know, I think about it and, and, and the companies I've worked for think about it is, is usually an employee first, you know, kind of point of view. Like uh, we don't if, if we don't need to be external about this because it's not endemic to our business, it's not authentic. It's us saying something for the sake of saying something, but not doing anything about it. Well, maybe we should have a thought about that. Um, but if our employees, you know, if we believe our employees feel very strongly about an issue, you know, then we should consider that. And, and, and what is the form of communication you know, to our employees. So, so if you're a company that has, you know, in, in Dick's case, 50,000 employees, you know, um, is it, 
you know, necessary to communicate to 50,000 employees at one time? Or, you know, do you do, you know, smaller groups of conversations to talk to the people, you know, where, with whom the particular issue might have more resonance? And you're right, that's every company is dealing with that exact, uh, exact kind of calculus, um, because the, the country, you know, is divided. It just is right. So any just anything yeah. you say publicly has a chance to resonate with half of your of your employee population, and and potentially um, disappoint the other half of your employee population. So, you know, we have to be so careful in terms of, you know, kind of a, an unforced error um, yeah. in, in these situations. A couple of points there. I mean, the one point that springs to mind is, you know, internal is the first step of external these days so most messages will get out you know so you you have to think about that with your internal messaging um and then the other thing is um you'll often get a big backlash initially just like nike did for example which then boomerangs you know when you'll get the sort of knee-jerk reactions and then people you'll get the sort of uh real brand supporters who are like yeah actually this is the right thing to do and you'll boomerang what how was that with uh dicks so i remember there was outcry from you know the usual quarters but then would you say it was a net benefit and looking back has it been a, a positive uh, thing to do but from a business point of view as well as an ethical it's a great question i mean in, in terms of empirical data it's really hard to know exactly you know how, how kind of um the decision in and of itself impacted our business on a long-term basis we did uh, communicate at the time that we expected to lose, you know, a couple hundred million dollars in revenue based on people that were going to be unhappy with the decision and stop shopping with us. Um, and that's, you know, we, we, we expected that and anticipated that. Um, what we don't really know is exactly to the number, well, how many people, you know, were so happy with the decision that they shopped with with us more than they might have previously, or, or became um, new customers, or became new customers, yeah. and then you kind of move. If you move into the next phase of of the growth of the company, you know, then COVID happened, and we saw exponential growth um, because of some of the categories that we were in and the technology that we had. But I'm not sure how related that might or might not have been to the decision. So people maybe were happier with us in 2019, 2020, and then COVID happened, and then say, hey. We need, you know, we're looking for kayaks and golf clubs and and running shoes. And, and I, you know, I'm really happy with the decision Dick's made around firearms. So I'm going to shop there first. We don't really have any data, you know, to kind of prove that. I think it's a, a little bit of a gut feeling at the company. Um, but to, to kind of make that direct line is is pretty tough. Yeah, it's, uh, but it was a great, uh, very brave decision and uh, good on the company for doing that. Just to finish up, Peter, was there any other sort of takeaway that you you will uh, you would advise someone coming into you know the profession now to uh, guide them through their career? Wow, that's a t- that's a good question. Um, I mean, you're right. You know what you said before is so true. That the, the business of communications has changed. I guess I'd say, I'd say a couple of things and maybe the word business is, is where you have to start from. I would say, get to know the business, really get to know the business that you're in because you're, you're doing communication. So the skill set that you need is, is communications, but it, it's very, very important to, you know, have a, a, a deep, deep understanding of whatever business it is. Um, and I would say, you know, 
it's not always possible, but working with great people makes a huge difference in your career. Like if you have the opportunity to work with great people, you know, you should, you know, try to network and build a career and, and, and get to try to do that. I, I hit the jackpot, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, if, if you had told me in 19, you know, 83, you know, that I was going to get to work with, you know, David Stern and, and Indra Nui and Richard Edelman, you know, and Ed Stack, I mean, we're talking legendary, innovative leaders of business. I mean, truly amazing people. Um, you know, if I took those four, that's, I, I would, and I was maybe the, <laughs> I don't know what I would be. I'd be the assistant coach, but I would put them up against anybody in the business, you know, in terms of visionary leadership. Um, so, you know, when you see good people out there, um, and, and you see people that you admire, uh, and again, I didn't plan, you know, to work with, with any of them. It just kind of happened, you know, but if you can put yourself in a position to work with good people, um, uh, you know, I think, I think it will ultimately pay some dividends. And, and you look, I also think staying connected. And again, this is what makes it so hard now because people are working from home and they're spending a lot of time looking at screens, but, you know, making those human connections, I still think is absolutely pivotal to our business. Um, and, and again, I, I've, you know, been incredibly lucky to work with, you know, some great leaders um, and, you know, Mary Scott at, at Edelman and Mike Bass at the NBA, people that I've, I've hired over the years and you stay connected to them, you know, um, and it's important, you know, stay connected to your, you know, your journalist friends, true, stay yeah. connected to your colleagues, you know, um, get to know them as, as human beings and not just through screens, you know. So, uh, yes, of course, the methods yeah. and the platforms have all changed, but I think the core, you know, uh, uh, the core, um, I don't know, strategy or strength, I think, that communicators have is relationships, empathy you know, kind of humanity and to the extent that you can kind of uh, never lose sight of that and bring those to your, to your work, I, I think it'll make a huge difference. Yeah, I uh, totally agree with the first point about business, because if you're going to be interacting with the C-suite and the CEO, you've got to understand the business and the spread, uh, the balance sheet and the financial parts of it. And I think PR people traditionally have sort of joked that, well, I'm not a numbers person. Well, you kind of need to be a numbers and a data person these days and totally agree on the networking as well. So we wish you the best um, as you dial it down a little bit, but don't disappear, Peter, and you'll be doing some consultancy as well. Good luck with the non-profits and walking the dog and maybe a lunchtime beer occasionally. So, uh, yeah, we're jealous. We're jealous. Um, but uh, it's great to chat to you and we'll get your input on some of these news stories. I'm working with remarkable people as well here, producer Fitz and Frank, of course. So over to you, Frank. We're talking about first the Health Influencer 30 list, um, a great list that PR Week does. And uh, we just unveiled our 2023 version this week so what were the highlights for you sir so it's a great list as it always is and um you know one thing that sticks out to me and we can highlight a, a, a few different people that are featured on the list when we talk about this is just how much companies have to put up with and correct disinformation on the web and how quickly it spreads now uh and we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get to another topic um but there are uh there are two people on the list in particular who this is a big part of their job and one is you know kevin wong from the trevor project and i think most people would agree that that you know they're doing very important you know mental health work over there and also we have on the list kevin griffs from the cdc and and you think about just what a 
gigantic amount of his role uh, goes into correcting and dealing with disinformation uh, and bad actors and uh, trying to correct the record or trying to make that uh, make sure that his organization's point of view is louder. So uh, interesting group of people. Uh, agency world, very well represented with top people as well, whether it's Jillian Janicek from, from Porter and Valley, uh, Shauna Keogh from Cineos Health. It's a, it's a very good list as it is every year. Yeah, and we've also prioritized health equity, which I think yes. is um, an underserved issue. And COVID, if anything, shone a very bright spotlight on that. And um, that, that thankfully, or the, certainly the people we've picked, they're continuing work in that areas, and including our newsmaker, which is Nadia Okamoto, who's super uh, impressive person. Yeah, she is. Um, and I, I have to admit, I was kind of shocked to see she was. Uh, she's only twenty five because uh, she's done a lot in her time. She's a co-founder. She's founded uh, several organizations, several platforms. Uh, she's Gen Z. Uh, she's also an influencer in her own right, and she uh, she uses her superpowers, so to speak, to um, to really normalize and break the stigma uh, of talking about periods. Uh, so that's that's also important work. Um, and we go in depth with the feature uh, with her that is, uh, I think our readers will really enjoy it. It's a terrific uh, it's a terrific piece. It is, and um, yeah, she's our cover star actually yep. for our November. December print issue, and she will also be a keynote at our healthcare conference in New York City in May next year. So look out for that. And other sort of health equity uh, experts, Thomas Bennett right. at uh, Fleischmann Hillo. Hillo jumped out for me, and Nova Nordisk's Keith Middleton, as well as Gilead's Deborah Tellman. We've got uh, Donna Klassen, the co-founder and CEO of Let's Talk Menopause, another topic like uh, menstruation that really doesn't get talked about enough and that you know is an issue for every every woman so um really great list and do tell us what you think of it and um good to uh, focus on health in uh, november december and um, keep up that focus and remember you can access all our great content on um our healthcare daily newsletter which uh, we uh brought in about a year ago and uh, has been really popular so lots of focus on health couple of uh, reviews, uh, Frank, LA Tourism and Discover Puerto Rico. And Discover Puerto Rico is interesting, isn't it? Because they've moved their account, but they've moved it within the Omnicom roster. Yeah, it's interesting for a few reasons. Number one, like you said, they have moved it within the Omnicom PR group. It used to belong to Ketchum. Uh, and now Discover Puerto Rico, which is the, it's the nonprofit uh, that's that's been formed by the island of Puerto Rico uh, to run uh, all of their tourism marketing. They've brought on Marina Mar Communications and Fleischman Hillard and HS. So three Omnicom agencies. It, it's an interesting grouping. Uh, it brings together uh, MMC for their their consumer and their creative work uh, with the travel and tourism specialty work for from H and S, which used to be known as Harrison and Schriftman. And the crisis and issues management is going to be worked on by Fleischman Hillard, which is super important to this group because unfortunately they have to deal with hurricanes and the aftermath of hurricanes, and they do need crisis support as well. It's not just you know the fun tourism work. Um, yeah, like we mentioned, Ketchum was the incumbent, so it's it's an interesting move and in that it keeps the business within Omnicom, but it switches agencies. Yeah, Peter, when you were at WPP for a bit and then you had a spell at Edelman, if you lose business, it's always bad news was there any consolation if it stayed within the holding company or was that just like okay well 
Um, well, it's, it's, um, yeah, look, I think there is, you know, if not, if nothing else, psychologically, if not financially, right. You know, yeah. so sure. I, I mean, we didn't have that at Edelman other than, you know, uh, uh, you know, with Xena, which we, I guess we started when I was there, PR 21 at the time, but when WPP, sure. I mean, if, if Finsbury wasn't competing for the business or if we didn't get the business, but, but, uh, you know, BCW or Ogilvy, you know, uh, or, or one of the other, you know, WPP firms, Won it. We were that was certainly a good thing because there was always a chance that maybe you could kind of slip back in and collaborate, depending on kind of what the assignment was. So there was at least a chance that you could, you know, potentially continue to partner on the business. Yeah. Yep. Um, but it's uh, it's winning and losing businesses takes up a lot of time, doesn't mm -hmm. it? And it's uh, it's one of the more emotional parts of being in the agency sector. Frank, interesting new venture yep. by Charlene Wheeler, who so used to lead comms at Bechtel and has grown brought together a senior group of folks in a new consultancy. Yes, Charlene Wheelis and a team of executives that includes the former AT&T top communications exec, Monica Talon. Uh, they have launched what they're calling a fractional hiring firm in comms collective. And that's essentially that um, you can bring on one of the executives uh, instead of hiring somebody full-time or instead of hiring an agency full-time. And in fact, they might even work with you to bring on an agency. Um, so it's an interesting group. And it's also interesting for the people who are doing it because it allows them to, to really work across a number of different types of businesses instead of just um, committing to one. So uh, again, that includes Charlene Wheelis. She's uh, formerly of Bechtel. Uh, Monica Talan is formerly of AT&T and Univision. Uh, Eric Kraus, uh, who has worked at Bacardi, uh, and also Covidian, the uh, subsidiary of Medtronic. Um, so it's a it's a really interesting group of people, um, and, and and interested to see how this venture really does out there. Yeah, and Lisa Ryan, I think, is involved, yes. right, from Heyman. So when you talked about hiring an agency, maybe they'll they'll also help people hire people to uh, full time people to take on uh, senior comms roles. Let me also just touch on LA Tourism really quickly because that's another uh, of the tourism uh, accounts that are out there. They have brought on Berlin Rosen as their USPR AOR. Now, this is an interesting appointment as well because I think it does show how Berlin Rosen has branched out beyond you know the public affairs uh, roots of the agency. Uh, but they're now going to be working nationally for the LA Tourism and Convention Board and really trying to work with... Um, getting you know reporters on the ground uh in los angeles uh the point was the incumbent on that account i'm, I'm curious and how and i i know nothing about that rfp or the agencies and so forth i'm just curious how it connects to the olympics coming to la in 2028 yeah that is that is a part of it because yeah. it is um it's it's billing la not just as a tourism center but also for it's you know as a media center entertainment all of those different things so um yes the upcoming Olympics uh, are going to be a part of that as well. There's actually an extraordinary amount of sporting and yeah. other events coming in the, the Soccer World Cup in 26. Uh, there are there are other things coming to LA as well, which um, so that's a that's a nice uh, nice win. Let's talk about the platform formerly known as Twitter, now called X, and uh, one of our regular. Um, Correspondence, if you like, his his company has uh, decided to come off Twitter 
uh, all together off X. Sorry. Yeah, we talked about Kevin Wong before from the Trevor Project, and um, it, and if you're not familiar with them, it's a suicide prevention organization that's primarily focused on LGBTQ plus uh, individuals. So they they're cutting out all activity on X, which of course is formerly known as Twitter. Uh, and they put out a statement as to why. And the reason is just that the X, the platform, has just become too toxic. And they believe that there's just too much hatred being sent toward the people that they work with on there. And, and you know, look, I, I think if you're on X in any capacity, you've definitely noticed this. Uh, and you've definitely noticed that, unfortunately, this has gone up several notches and the, the guardrails have been taken away. So it's just kind of running rampant. Um I think this is something a lot of organizations are going to have to think about and they're going to have to weigh. I mean, we know this has been an issue with those doing paid activations on on Twitter and X and how many have pulled back uh, the revenue numbers from advertising are public, of course. So we know how much pullback there has been there. Um, and and I, I have to imagine this was probably a very difficult decision for the Trevor Project because they probably were were concerned. What if we are moving away from some people on X that actually need help? Versus are we making people be on a platform where they could get a lot of negative attention? So I, I have to imagine this was a, a difficult decision for them to make and ultimately decided to pull off of the platform. Yeah, I think from my point of view, I don't really post on there anymore. I do, and I would love to actually come off it all entirely. The problem is it's a really useful platform for journalists, isn't yeah, it? it? Is. And, and it you know, it was great. We love Twitter. Um, it's a shame to see what it's become, but it's so toxic and so depressing, frankly, just to even hang out there. So, um, Peter, what was uh, the, the the philosophy at Dick's? Was that a place where you ever advertised and stopped doing so? And were you more, would you were you seeking organic reach on there, or were you, you sort of moving your spend to other social media platforms? You know, it's a question I actually don't know the answer to because uh, <laughs> it wasn't something that kind of was in was within my purview, kind of where where they currently are or or, or not, or if there's been any changes. I, I would tell you though that um, you know you're right; the revenue numbers are are public, so it's very clear that marketers are thinking about X differently um, because of the changes in in um, kind of the the security, I guess, right? If it's kind of the cleanest way to say it. Uh, I, I think it's, I, I applaud the Trevor Project um, for having the courage to do it. I, you know, and, and I, you're right. I'm sure they went through a lot of, of data, you know, because the last thing they'd want to do is to not be able to help, you know, somebody who really needs the help. That's what the Trevor Project is about. In full disclosure, I have family members who've done some work for the Trevor Project, uh, from a volunteer basis, and, I'm, and I've contributed to the Trevor Project, so it's it's an organization I, I know quite a bit about. But I, they must have made the decision that through other social media platforms and through direct communication that we have with people that need help, you know, we can get off the platform, and 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 that's going to be the better decision for us. I, I think if they felt like there were going to be kids at risk. And the only way that they were going to get to us was through Twitter. They probably would have, you know, they might have considered an alternative. I'm pretty sure that that they really thought about that deeply um, based on what I know about the organization. And they said, look, we, we can be off of X and still do exactly what we need to do for the people that need us the most. And for that, I, I really applaud them. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it would have been a difficult decision because of that. But um, kids' mental health 
is very impacted by the amount of screen time they have and the amount of time they hang out on social media. So it is that, that double-edged sword, if you like. So, yeah, um, good good move by the Trevor Project. Um, Frank, some sad news. A former PR Week power lister and Verizon comms lead has uh, passed away. Yes. Um, unfortunate news. Uh, Peter Thonis uh, died on November 9th following a battle with pancreatic cancer. He was 72. An obituary put together by his family describes all of his different interests from uh, he started out as a journalist. He was, of course, a corporate executive, but also a hiker. I did not know he was a competitive weightlifter um, uh, and also a sports fanatic and a news junkie. Uh, Came out of Syracuse University and and then worked for the Associated Press before he went inside the corporate structure, Uh, worked for IBM, which so many people who moved into top communications roles elsewhere did uh and also worked at bbn corporation which was acquired by gte merged with bell atlantic to become what is now known as verizon where he was cco i remember bernadette casey formerly of this parish doing a newsmaker with peter and i do didn't he, he used to be into wrestling yes doesn't that ring a bell yeah. yes so yeah um got a wrestling scholarship to college yeah so yeah, sad news about it Peter is. and um, Peter Land. Uh, I guess it just brings it home. Uh, we're, we're only on this planet for so long. You got to make the most of it, haven't you? So uh, um, I think you got to make make the most of the time you have and um, see to all parts of your life and not just the work part of your life. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, very sad news, um, but uh, yeah, I think I think it does hit the point that um, you know how you spend your time you know, yeah, it gets to be more and more important, I guess, a little bit as you, as you yeah. get older and really thinking about how do you want to spend that time? Very, very true. And finally, Frank, just update us on a couple of other PR week launches this week. Yes, that's right. And, um, it is, uh, it is once again going to be time this spring, uh, as the cherry blossoms bloom in Washington, D.C. for the PR Week Crisis Comms Conference. word pictures for our listeners, Frank. Uh, one of the keynotes will be Risa Heller, who is uh, one of the best-known crisis wranglers out there. Uh, so the date is April 18th, 2024 at Convene on 614th Street Northwest uh, in the nation's capital. Um, and this week we also... Uh, are debuting uh, the salary survey. Uh, and so look for that, all the info- information you need on that Thursday morning, uh, as perhaps you're looking for the podcast on the homepage, will be out there as well. Yeah, just take a few minutes to fill that out. It doesn't take long and it really helps inform the survey and the data that comes out of it, and which is we know everybody looks out for as soon as it lands. And um, yeah, the Crisis Comms event was a sellout this year. So we're pleased to put it on again and make it bigger and better in 2024 Mm -hmm. so yeah good stuff all right peter thank you so much for joining us really great to chat thank you so much for having having me steve and great to see you uh or i guess i can see you but i know people on won't be able to see us on this but great to see both of you um and look forward to staying in touch uh even even as we move into the next phase Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Don't forget our Hall of Fame event. It's on the 4th of December in New York City, honoring some legends of the industry. The Global Awards, PR Week Global Awards, they'll be uh, presented in London next May. The early bird entry for that is the 12th of December. So if you want to save a bit of money on your entries, get them 
going and make sure you hit that. Frank mentioned, uh, well, we mentioned earlier the PR Week Healthcare Awards. They're open for entries. Early bird deadline for that is 18th of December. And of course, the Oscars of PR, our 25th anniversary silver uh, awards takes place at Cipriani Wall Street next March, 14th of March, 2024. And uh, it's going to be an epic night. So look out for that one. But that's all we got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week.